0: Welcome to Twice 5 Miles Radio. Fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering, I'm your host James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVM LP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online wpvmfm.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song. WalterParks.com if you're interested in learning more about Walter's music. Thank you, Davine Dio, for managing the radio station, WPVM-FM. WPVMFM.org if you'd like to know more about community radio. If you'd like to reach out to me, JamesNave.com is my website. Nave is spelled N-A-V you can email me through that website janesnabe.com I'd love to hear from you and if you'd like to join me every Saturday morning with my creative collaborator Allegra Houston for an imaginative storm writing prompt of the week session would love to have you if you go to imaginative storm You'll find the Zoom link above the fold. We gather every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon Eastern Time, and we write for an hour with a group of people. And we never know who's going to show up, and we hope someday it will be you. ImaginativeStorm.com Today, I have a new friend. Her name is Martha Bassett. I came across Martha because a friend of hers emailed me and said, You... Might be interested in talking to Martha Bassett. She has a, a musical show coming out of Elkin, North Carolina. She's a musician. She works with her husband. It's a podcast. They're really doing great work. Would you like to talk to Martha? And of course, I always say yes to good ideas like talking to Martha. So I said yes. We got on the call and Martha. And I had a great conversation and I said, well, would you like to be on my show, Twice Five Miles Radio? And Martha said, yes. So here we are together on Twice Five Miles Radio. Welcome, Martha Bassett.
1: Thank you, James. It's an honor to be with you today.
0: Let me just begin by asking you about some stories around your relationship with music and how you came into that. I know that you've been singing for years I know you love to play music. You've been in that arena for a long time. How did it start? And tell us a bit about what you're doing with it to keep it moving. You're you're expanding dramatically with other musicians as well. So what's, up? what's the story, Martha?
1: I'm from a bluegrass and country gospel family in West Virginia. And uh, my big rebellion as a teenager was to go into classical music. So I ventured out to the University of Kentucky and got a degree in vocal performance and then came to North Carolina to pursue a master's in voice at UNC Greensboro. I fell into the music scene in Greensboro, ended up uh, leaving classical music mostly behind. And uh, my first band was a swing band called Martha and the Mood Swingers. We played all over the region. I became interested in old-time music and started playing upright bass. And then I formed an Americana band and started playing guitar and became more interested in jazz as well and started playing jazz guitar. A few years ago, when the current owners of the Reeves Theater in Elkin first purchased the theater, they called me up and said, would you be interested in doing something regular at the Reeves once we open up? And my partner, Pat who is a large thinker said, "We're going to have a show. We're we're going to be the Martha Bassett show. <laughs> we're now starting our fifth season of the Martha Bassett show, and it is a collaborative uh, musical variety show along the lines of the former Prairie Home Companion. We've we've tried a little bit of comedy, not to the extent that they did. We are." in it to win it now with uh, the fifth season of the Martha Bassett Show. And since the beginning of the pandemic, we have added two radio stations to our podcast, which are um, WFTD out of Wake Forest in Winston-Salem and WUTC in Chattanooga. So here we are.
0: What does in it to win it mean? I hear that all the time. What are you, what are you, are you going to go down there every night and do what was like the Beatles did? They played eight days a week in Hamburg until they got, got discovered.
1: What I mean by that is that I want to um, bring our show to the national stage when it comes to radio. I, I love our product. We have amazing artists on the show and we feature a lot of North Carolina artists as well as national artists. And I'm super proud of what we're doing and I want everyone to hear it.
0: Well, that's going big. I love that. (laughs) I love that attitude because when you have pride in your work, it's easy to, to offer it out to the world because it feeds you and you know if it's feeding you, it must feed many others. Obviously, five years into this work, it must be doing, you must be doing something right.
1: We must be. And you're right. It, when you have a product like this, it's a little different than when I was just taking my band out on the road. It felt a little different marketing myself that way. But with the show... It's not just about me. It's about our whole team and the great artists that we bring in.
0: Talk about Pat, the man that you have as a partner and the one that plays with you and is on stage and and everything else. What's going on with all of that?
1: Well, Pat is an upright bass player. He has a great producer mind as well. He's my partner in everything that I do. We started back in 2018 with Jonathan Bird and the Pickup Cowboy. He's a wonderful North Carolina artist who plays internationally. He's been a recurring guest on the show and he's actually my next guest this month. So um, I'm really excited to have Jonathan Bird back. Another North Carolina artist that has been on every season is young Presley Barker. He's a teenager from Trap Hill, North Carolina. He's 17 now. And I think the first time he was on the show, he was 13, and it's been just beautiful watching him grow up on the show. Molly O'Brien from Colorado, the great singer, has been on the show. Amethyst Kia from Tennessee. Sam Baker, great Texas singer-songwriter. Galen Lee from Minnesota. Alistair Frazier and Natalie Haas have been on the show. Spoken word artist, Minton Sparks, great singer Heather Maloney, Elizabeth Cook, Outlaw Country Star. That's just a smattering of people that we've had in the past.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic. I do know Minton. Minton's been on this show before. She's a fantastic singer, songwriter, spoken word artist, storyteller. She goes in one direction and then she turns around and goes in another and then she moves back to the other. And she was also a, a psychologist as well. So she's done a lot yes. of psychology and entrepreneurial things. So I I do love Minton Sparks. And I like the way Minton takes her improvisational sensibilities and brings them into memorized material and makes it seem like it's improvisational. That's really hard to do. I can do a little bit of that, but it's very difficult to do. And I admire Minton for that work, which brings me around to asking you a question about music that you might be able to reflect on a bit. You said you moved into jazz and you've been into the bluegrass, old-time, upright bass playing. What is your view of how jazz and the old-time music Moles or, or fuses together, or does it?
1: It's an easy connection to make between bluegrass and jazz. Every bluegrass player that I know wants to play jazz. <laughs> there is so much improvisation in the instrumental parts of that specifically. Old-time music as well, even though uh, there are fewer chords generally in old-time music than in jazz, just the groove aspect of it uh, really, you can make connections between any types of music. And I, I think just the mindsets that people get into when they play are pretty similar across the board. But the improv that happens in all of those types.
0: And the way I understand it, the jazz musicians have a set of notion of exactly how the tune will go. They have the the spine of it, if you will. And I know when I grew up in Western North Carolina, outside of Asheville, I played old time music, Appalachian music with my father. I had a little Gibson guitar and he, he had a fiddle and He actually had taken the fiddle from a mantle in Germany during World War II and brought it back from the war and played it for the rest of his life. And we played with a fellow named Tommy Bell, who lived in a little Airstream trailer next to his daughter in Bent Creek. And we would go up on Thursday night or whatever night it was and sit in a circle and they would all fiddle. And Tommy Bell was quite a fiddler. He played, listened to The Mockingbird and was famous for making the sounds of The Mockingbird on his fiddle. And of course, I'm the kid back in the back, like whacking around with three or four three or four chords. And so the, the old time music was set. Everybody mm-hmm. knew the, the melody. And that was about that. Once they launched into it, it seemed to have the same repetition. And yet it was always very, very different. So I'm thinking maybe, say, for the great classical songs that the fabulous orchestras play, note for note, So much of the rest of this is kind of up for grabs in terms of how one enters it improvisationally.
1: That's true. And coming from the classical world, there is so much that you do not improvise in classical music. The keys are set even. And outside of classical music, I can sing anything in any key that I want. But what is always different about all of those performances is that the artists have so much freedom with tempo and timbre and phrasing. So I would not say that there is no improvisation in classical music. It's just not with the set notes, the way the music is written. And in jazz and even old time music and bluegrass, yes, there is a framework that everybody is working within, but I don't have to sing the melody the same way every time. I can improvise what notes I sing and same thing for the fiddler or the guitar player or any of the players.
0: I'm drawn to this conversation for many reasons. First of all, as I explained, I grew up playing music with my father. And one of my problems when I was playing, I I couldn't hear the notes well enough to tune the guitar. I could almost get it right, but I couldn't quite get it. Now, of course, we have apps that you just tune it and it's fine. But some people could just pick it up and tune it. I know some classical musicians are required to listen to a phrase and write the notes down as they hear them. And if they don't get them right, then they flunk the test. I'm thinking, I I have no idea what a C sounds like. So when I started to try to sing, I sang way, way, way off key and and couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. And I would talk to people who sang, because I always wanted to sing like, a great singer. And I could never work myself into that. And I realized later that I don't hear music in my head. I have no music inside my brain. And I talked to so many musicians who said, oh, I can hear symphonies. I hear the song. I hear it once. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I can play it note for note. And that always astounded me. (laughs) So, And I did compensate for it by taking up the spoken word and later learned that I didn't really need to hear music in my head. All I needed to do was phrase it like Leonard Cohen, and it would sound okay with the guitar, even though I'm not hitting all the notes perfectly. What about you? Do you hear music in your head? How does that work for you?
1: I do not have perfect pitch, which is actually an advantage. People with perfect pitch are driven crazy by all the out of tuneness around them, whereas with relative pitch, I can hear something, and harmonize with it. I am a low-voiced singer. I grew up learning and hearing and improvising harmony parts, so I'm an alto. As a child, that made me feel like I really wasn't a good singer because my voice wasn't high enough to sing along with Olivia Newton-John. Pop music goes in and out of high-voiced, low-voiced women. I loved singing along with Cass Elliot because I could sing her I just trained myself coming up to sing alto so that I could sing along in the church choir. My first instrument was piano, which really helped me understand music in a more comprehensive way. I learned how to do chord inversions and play different types of chords, augmented chords, diminished chords, um, seventh chords, major seventh chords. That helped me once I started playing guitar and was in college theory class because that's what all of that is built around. You notice that in a symphony, the oboe or the violin gives a pitch and the whole orchestra tunes to that. It uh, usually doesn't work that way outside of classical music, but string players, most, most players just learn to tune to a pitch. I frankly use a tuner on my guitar so that I make sure I'm Right, and then then within a band we all tune to each other and uh, different people do it differently
0: it's interesting for me because like I said I don't hear music in my head and yet if you sing a note I can match it because Uh I can hear it outside of my head and I can hear when you're off singing or somebody's guitar is off a bit that said I was at a concert couple of years ago with Walter Parks at the White Horse Music Room in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And Walter did a, a show. Another musician, David Lamont, was in the audience. And afterwards, David and Walter were talking about the show. Walter said, oh, well, I was pretty satisfied with it. It did fine. I, I liked it already. He said, but you know, I was I was really kind of off on that D. It was a few, few beats off, or there was something off about it. And David said, well, you know, Walter, I didn't notice that. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I have no idea what they were talking about. But of course, both are professional musicians and he knew exactly what Walter was talking about. And he had actually noticed it, which made me think about myself as an audience member and all the other audience members around me. We all enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. And Walter sang and played and the drummer played. He even invited me up and I did some poetry. Of course, I was reciting my poems and not listening too much to the music because I was trying to do what I needed to do. Sure, It was fun, though. And yet I admire David's ability to hear that bit that I didn't hear. So I do admire your crew of musicians all over the world, Martha and the Millions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, James, it is not about perfection. We all know that. I mean, you mentioned Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen didn't sing in tune. (laughs) He just uh, sang from his heart and it sounded good and people liked Mm -hmm. it. And there are a lot of people like that. I hate when people are intimidated by professional musicians. It wasn't that long ago that more people in society made music regularly. And that's a good thing. We need more people making music. It doesn't have to be professional.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up perfectionism and the idea of making music. Because now in our society, we do have things rather codified. I am this or I do this. I am going to write And when someone says, I'm going to write, often many around them will say, well, are you going to do it professionally? And when I think about growing up in Western North Carolina, out on Brevard Road, which is now a four-lane road, all commercial, but it still does go by Sardis Methodist Church at the corner of Sardis Road and Brevard Road, and Sardis Methodist Church sits on the corner amongst all of this commerce. There's a steeple on the church and the steeple was made by my grandfather and my grandfather installed the bell. And I imagine the rope is still hanging there. The same rope I pulled when I was a boy ringing that bell. And that church sits on this road which was at one time when i was growing up a country road and when my father and all of those musicians like tommy bell who lived in the airstream gary mcdonald's father played and there were a few other people i don't know why i remember harry mcdonald that was his name harry mcdonald played and others as well and when they came to these homes to sit around in those circles they showed up in their work clothes Mm -hmm. they came from the power company they came from the fields they came from the lumber company wh- wherever they were working and they brought their fiddles and they would say let's make music and when you ask them what do you do they never identified themselves as musicians they would look with a blank stare and say well i work at the i work at the bank and i make music So they were always saying making music rather than I am a musician. And I think that was what your reference was as well.
1: Absolutely. My uncles did the same thing. Uh, My maiden name is uh, Martha Schaefer and I'm from the Schaefer family, which was a bluegrass group. And uh, all my uncles were coal miners and they played beautifully and they got together every weekend and it was called the pickin'. So Where's gonna Where's the pickin' going to be this weekend? So uh, the whole community would come and listen, and other people would sit in, and, and it was just joyful music-making.
0: Keep us in West Virginia for a little while, and tell us more about your memories growing up in West Virginia. Like, I remember my grandfather building the steeple on the church. What about you, West Virginia? People come from I the started,
1: mountains. Uh, yes, I started singing in the church choir when I was pretty young, I don't know, maybe six or seven, and my grandmother would just, I would always sit beside her, and she would take me up to the choir, and I would stand beside her, and she was the loudest alto, Mary Ann Schaefer, and uh, (laughs) it wasn't the most beautiful voice in the choir, but it was the big, loud alto voice, and my stepmom sang soprano, and she was kind of the big, loud soprano, and... Nobody read music in the choir, but we would have choir practices and we would learn and it was a lot of fun.
0: What kind of church did you grow up in?
1: This was a missionary Baptist church, so it was pretty hardcore and there were bluegrass musicians who would play sometimes, but it was mostly piano-based, lots of hearty singing.
0: And where was this located? The reason I'm asking is I've driven the interstate through the two two big tunnels up into West Virginia. So I've had more than one opportunity to drive all the way through West Virginia, heading up to Ohio. So I wouldn't say I know West Virginia. And I did do some poetry shows in the schools around the West Virginia area, Charleston, West Virginia, and some of the towns 15, 20 miles out, that, that sort of thing. So where did you grow up? Was it a small town, a big town?
1: Very small Uh, I'm from Nicholas County. I lived in Mount Nebo, West Virginia, and uh, our church was in the next little unincorporated town over, Mount Lookout. From North Carolina, if you go up Highway 77, get off the Turnpike in Beckley and take Highway 19 up through Summersville. It's the famous speed trap in West Virginia. (laughs) A lot of people know it from that. And there's a big, beautiful lake. Summersville Lake is where I grew up and everybody was coal miners, really beautiful area. I've never seen a place any prettier than where I grew up.
0: And how did the coal mining fit into all of that? The money was good when they were coal mining. I imagine people were more affluent than they are now because coal mining has subsided. And yet, I guess there was a fair amount of environmental disruption as well when you were growing up or, or was there? Yes,
1: there was. Coal mining was what most people did. So when I say I'm a coal miner's daughter and granddaughter, it's not uncommon. We didn't have a lot of the mountaintop removal right there in our county, but there was plenty of that, which is an ugly thing. The rivers have become a lot more polluted because of the mining. Um, my stepdad's job now is to uh, work for the state uh, in the Environmental Protection Agency, he goes out to different mines and tests water and soil to make sure that the mines are following the rules. But there's been a lot of bad logging and mountaintop removal in West Virginia that has really damaged the state. And it's heartbreaking.
0: That song, Mr. Peabody's Coal Train, is hauled oh, away. Yeah. <laughs> is that Who wrote that song?
1: John Prine, and that's about a Kentucky
0: Area. Oh, right. It was about a Kentucky area, but I suppose a coal train would not necessarily be hindered by a state line, I, I would think.
1: Correct. <laughs> there's there's mining all around that area.
0: <laughs> so when you grew up in this beautiful area, when you left home and moved away as a musician, as a, an explorer, perhaps a curious person looking at the world, did you leave west virginia because you were curious did someone invite you to go away did you have a tug that said what's over the mountain
1: oh yeah from my earliest memories are looking out the window as a child or climbing up on the highest mountains to see how far i could see i wanted out and the day after i graduated high school i moved And I was aware that I was living in a really beautiful place, but I I wanted out really badly. I, I felt like it wasn't where I was supposed to be.
0: And where did you move to?
1: I got a full scholarship in music at University of Kentucky. So that's where I went.
0: And that's in Bowling Green?
1: No, that's in Lexington.
0: Lexington, Kentucky. Yes. Once you got there as the mountain teenager, soon becoming an adult... What were some of the things that happened to you at university that solidified your desire to keep moving out and out into the big world?
1: I moved to a college where I didn't know anybody else, and I was able to recreate myself. And of course, as an 18-year-old, I fancied myself as being a little bit more cosmopolitan, which is funny because (laughs) I was a little West Virginia girl going to a little Kentucky town. (laughs) But, you know, in my mind at the time, (laughs) I wanted to be a classical musician in the art world.
0: Did you see yourself as an artist then?
1: I did. I did.
0: Did you see that artist in you early? When did you know there was an artist there that wanted to come out, not wanted to come out, that was coming out?
1: Elementary school. I knew at that point that I was a musician, but I didn't really know what my instrument was. I also loved reading and writing and drawing. It just took me a a while to figure out where my talents were. But music was always my strongest pull.
0: So many people in rural areas, and I'm speaking as well for myself, growing up, as I said, in Western North Carolina, outside of Asheville. Aside from the music, I didn't know what was out there. My mother was a well-read woman. And so to her mother, Roberta, uh, both ended up with as college graduates. Roberta graduated from college in 1919, mayor of the college in near Raleigh, North mm-hmm. Carolina. And yet I didn't have a community that celebrated the desire to go out and do artistic things. In fact, the community didn't even understand what it was. And, and maybe why would they? It was in the 50s and the 60s and people were busy working and making a living and putting food on the table and worrying about all the things you worry about in any community. Did you have people in your life who championed you or were you on your own when you started to take this exploration out?
1: I was mostly on my own, but I will say that my high school had a choral director that introduced us to classical music. That's how I knew that I wanted to go in that direction. And once I realized that sound that was the classical voice, that I could just do that naturally, I just jumped in with both feet. My classical voice didn't fit in my church, and I never sang it in that style because it would have been considered uppity. The bigger Methodist church in town in Summersville would uh, bring me in as a soloist, and then the Presbyterian church started bringing me in as a soloist. And that was a little blasphemous to people in my church because... Only people in my church were going to heaven. Everybody else was on the wrong path. (laughs) So I had to break away from where I I came from to be able to do my art. So that also made it easier to leave.
0: When you go back or when you reconnect with the people in your community, do you... Fine, they recognize you now as an artist, or do they just say, there's Martha, she's back in town. Hi, Martha, when are you going to be back at church?
1: <laughs> I I don't really go back. <laughs> I mean, I, I go back and visit my family, but I haven't been back to my church since I was a kid, except for maybe a funeral or something.
0: So where do you stand spiritually now, after all of this experience with your church and then moving forward into the bigger world How has that evolved for you?
1: It's been a big evolution. When I left home, I was like, well, I'm never going back to a church again. (laughs) And I didn't for a long time. And in graduate school, I really needed extra money and saw that a local Presbyterian church was uh, hiring soloists. So I'm in my, you know, early to mid 20s at this point and realized After being in this church for a little while, that all the experiences that I had before were about people, not really about God. So that just opened my mind more. And then I got a job at a Methodist church in Winston-Salem, where I am still on staff. I've been there in various capacities for like 27 years now. I've been the children's choir director. I started out as a soloist in the choir for the last nine years. I've led a jazz service on Sunday mornings and an Americana service on Wednesday nights. This church has been a boost to me as an artist because it's you know been a part-time income for all these years. At this point, I'm actually a member of that church, and I see myself more as a contemplative Christian, and I'm drawn to spiritual practices like centering prayer, a form of meditation, And I see my church as being an important part of community.
0: When you say you're a contemplative Christian, does that also mean you're thoughtful? Is that what contemplative means? Or is it more expanded than that? Because you came from the fundamentalist tradition Mm -hmm. where only 12 people were going to heaven. All right or whatever how many ever you had in your exactly so not, not that many right so this is going to be a lonely lonely place and not all of them were going oh right of course we had to cut cut it in half because a few did these things on the side and all right so what is contemplative christianity
1: it is more of the universal god as the universe and People and all of the earth, not just people. I, I don't believe that we are separate from anything else. I believe that the entire universe is just a manifestation of God. When I say contemplative Christian, you could just as easily bring in any other faith tradition to that.
0: I've never been able to see myself as separate from all of the rest of this. Somehow, I, I look out. Now I see myself fitting in in a rather small way, but I don't see myself as being removed from any of it. I don't see how I could possibly be removed from it. I it's mean impossible. after all, if you go trillion years, you're still only a small trillion years from where you started and then you have infinity left. So where will you where would you go anyway to separate from it because you can't. So I often and enjoy that's
1: eternal it. life. <laughs>
0: It's eternal because it's infinite. And if you have an infinite life, it couldn't be anything other than eternal because it has no ending or beginning, which to me suggests lots of possibilities. Lots of things could go on that I would I will never understand. So while I do find myself sometimes wondering about theology that's grounded so strongly in earthly human logic, I do find myself wondering about that. I'm going like, well, I don't know. You know, maybe two and two is four on a small scale, but what is two and two when you go out into infinity?
1: I think it's all about embracing the mystery. As Americans, that's very difficult to be that vulnerable.
0: And I love the idea of embracing the mystery, but I also might suggest the mystery has already embraced us. And maybe we just have to accept that. Because we're wrapped in infinity and infinity is always mysterious because who could know that many answers to that many questions if we tried all our lives? How could we know it?
1: I think it's important to let go of intellectualism when it comes to spiritual matters. So that doesn't mean believe in simplistic things. I I don't think it's about dogma. I, I, I think it's about openness
0: that may be why so many people come to your show down there in Elkham, <laughs> because you have an open door, like the church is open. Come in, my friends, and let's <laughs> let's sing to the sing to the high heavens. Shifting a little bit back to your show. You okay. said you and your, your partner you've been with for God knows how many years. It sounds like a long, long time. Yeah. You two are really going at this from a professional point of view. And I'm asking this question for people who listen In wondering, well, maybe I could engage in my own podcast or my own radio show. So tell us the inner workings of this. How does this lay itself out week to week? And how do you produce it? And what kind of connections do you make? I know it's the website is the Martha Bassett Show dot com. Is that it? Correct. Martha Bassett show.com. And when I first went on the website, I thought, well, this woman knows what she's doing. Gosh, well, well, gee whiz. And I know that that's true, obviously, because of your promo shows us that. How does all of it work?
1: It's been an evolution. Uh, really, uh, it started with Pat's large idea. And then the two of us honing it down to figure out how to accomplish this big thing that that we were envisioning and it, it changes and develops with each season. Pat and I try and stay in our own lanes. I am more involved in the booking and the musical decisions. And of course he is involved in that with me, but I, I do those things. Um, he is more involved in the production, meaning organizing the production team, which at this point, is two cameramen, a sound person, a broadcast sound person. We've really developed a team. So the two of us could not do this alone. On the day of the show, we usually have between 15 and 18 people on the entire crew, which includes the musicians and all of the support staff.
0: So when you do these shows, you obviously have a lot of people on staff. So you've managed to take this from an idea to something that obviously has some funding because you have to supply the rent and pay for the gear and the people who come probably pay the musicians as well. Mm -hmm. And then how do you manage all how are you managing to get the word out? Is this something that you're doing organically or do you have a strategy to take you to the national level, your branding strategy?
1: It started very grassroots. We spent a lot of money the first year from a grant that we got on advertising, mostly around North Carolina, and buying radio spots on WFDD. As we went along, we we found that people were already coming to the website and people already knew about us. So we shifted the money away from that and started uh, spending more money on social media advertising, Facebook mostly, but we've done a lot of Instagram as well. That has been cheaper and more effective uh, at this point. It is yet to be seen where we're going with the advertising as we go forward. I'm going to need some professional guidance on that as we expand into other markets.
0: So when you work with Facebook and Instagram, you say you advertise on them. You buy ads on Facebook and you buy ads on Instagram. The Facebook ads and the Instagram ads are working for you. How do you know? Do you get people calling you? Do people tune into the shows? How does it work?
1: They show up and through the ticketing mechanism, we know where they're coming from. So we we see where we're drawing people from around the state. And oddly, we're not doing that much uh, in Elkin itself, I think that has grown some, but the bulk of our audience comes from the triad, Winston-Salem, and all around that area. And then it's it differs from show to show depending on who our guests are. We sometimes have people driving in from Charlotte, Raleigh, other states, Virginia. Depending on if I have a famous artist that uh, people want to see.
0: Do you... Write your own music as well as perform other music? Because I know you're in every show. You and Pat blend and host as you move forward. So, what about your collaboration with Pat or with yourself in your own music?
1: Yes, I do write music. I can certainly not keep up with the demands of the show. I try not to repeat very much of uh, what I'm performing. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I I wanted to have collaboration with the artists. So we put together a very specific show flow that we send out to the three artists that we, we bring on the show, my band, which is the house band also performs and the house band backs up. Usually all three of the artists, not always depending on what the situation is. Some people are more self-contained, but there's always a finale all cast song that we try and keep kind of simple so that everybody can jump on and solo and sing verses. Before I did this show, when I was just out with my band performing, I did what all other artists do. You hone your two-hour set, you do, and everybody knows their music inside and out, and it develops over time and it becomes just super tight. Now I'm doing the exact opposite. Every two weeks, I learn all new material. <laughs> and So I'm doing a lot of covers for the songs that I do myself because you know I can't write new songs every two weeks. I'm also learning the songs of the guests who come on and backing them up. So my band and I have really honed the skill of learning new music quickly. We only rehearse the day of the show. And I have the artists come in early afternoon on a tiered schedule and they load in, they sound check and they practice with the band. Then the next artist loads in, sound checks, practices with the band. So it's an all day thing.
0: And then finally, when the show comes, everybody's there. You have an audience coming and the show goes, you record the show, you stream the show. Mm -hmm. And that's that. You move your attention to the next two weeks later.
1: Exactly. And then what has been captured, Pat takes that and edits it down to an hour-long radio show. And that's what is sent to radio.
0: Ah, so the show's two hours long. Yeah. And then he puts it all together and out it goes to the radio stations. Exactly. So what do you have planned in this fifth year? What are you going to do to spice it all up? I know you told us about the first guest. What's going to happen down there in Elkin, North Carolina?
1: Well, we just about doubled our offerings for this year. So I'm trying to double my budget. We have increased it. And so I'm spending a lot of time. I'm kind of working on the fundraising for that as well. And we really want to move more towards corporate sponsorships, which seems to be the right move for us. And uh, I'm still applying for some grants, but that is not so much to that's more about um, equipment and expansion and marketing. So we have gone from a 10 show season to now we have an 18 show season, which will probably have two additional sponsored shows from other organizations. Like last year, the Winston Salem Arts Council presented a show at uh, one of the local parks and they paid the bill for that. And the same thing happened for Wake Forest, hired me to do a festival that featured all Winston Salem artists. And that was a day long festival. And we basically did three Martha Bassett shows that day and captured all of that.
0: Well, you have a big learning curve. Oh, it yeah. seems to be moving on and on and on.
1: Yeah, we don't really know where where it's going to go. I, I would love to get to the point um, once we have this season behind us and are used to this double schedule that we've put before us, I would love to move into other radio markets and be able to do some traveling shows, which is logistically something that we haven't done yet. Whenever we've done shows that were not at the Reeves Theatre, they've all been local at this point. And taking our big old show on the road is complicated in a way that I haven't explored yet, but I'd like to do that at some point.
0: I'm thinking about letting me stare into the crystal ball. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I I see a I see a large truck in your future. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Full of full of. Oh, yes. There's a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Martha Bassett, I wish you all the luck in the world on your upcoming season and all the musical work you do. I'm looking forward to following it being more connected to it as an audience member i appreciate all that work and i most especially appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend a little time with me on twice five miles radio thank you so much
1: it is my pleasure thank you so much for having me james
0: and there you go my friends conversation with martha bassett the martha bassett show.com if you'd like to know more about all of the guests that martha's going to be having in her fifth season at the Reeves Theater in Elkin, North Carolina. I took a look at the website, and sure enough, she's got a lot of great talent on the stage this year. So if you have a chance to tune in by way of her podcast, you would be well served. Also, if you have a chance to go down to Elkin and see one of the shows live, good idea, too. And guess what? Martha has invited me to come down on May the 19th, that's a Thursday night, and be part of her show for that evening. I'll be at the LEAF Global Arts Retreat the weekend before, so it will be no problem to hop in the car and drive down to Elkin, which is about two and a half hours away, and be part of the show. Martha wants me to be part of this show as a spoken word poet, not as a guitar player. I wouldn't ever be able to play guitar at the level the pro musicians play on the stage at the Martha Bassett Show. I'm not discounting my ability to play the guitar. I'm a pretty good guitar player. I just know that I'm not willing to spend the hours and hours and hours it takes to get to the point where you can play pro like the studio musician or the many stars and rising stars that appear on the Martha Bassett Show. So you might be thinking, well, if he doesn't play the guitar all that well, and all he's going to do is recite a few poems, how in the world will that fit into a a big stage show full of professional musicians? That's a good question. It's also a good question because when Martha and I talked about the show, she said, well, just come down. You can step in and step out of the show as you please. We can figure that out when you get there. We rehearse on the day of the show and then the curtains go up and off we go. And there you go. You'll you'll be part of the show with your spoken word poetry. So if you've never been on a stage in front of a big audience, The idea of just walking out there one day of rehearsal or an afternoon of rehearsal and doing a spoken word piece, which has to be memorized, you have to be comfortable, you have to look at the audience, you have to be front and center for those moments, maybe a minute, maybe a minute or two. I did mention that you have to have the piece memorized. Actually, I need to qualify that and say, you can walk out there with the page. You don't really have to have it memorized, and the page is no different, really, than a page of music, a page of sheet music, except the page of poetry has the the words written on it and not the notes. So you can go out and not have it memorized. So what is the key to making that work? Well, you might have already guessed it. It's the professional musicians on stage that make it work. And the reason why these people who have been playing music all their lives made a living at it, it's just in their system, it's in their in their bones really they know how to they know how to listen, they know how to to drop the the vibe embed the vibe of the music that fits the spoken word piece that the poet is doing or anybody else for that matter, even if you have never done it and you walk on a stage and you're there with people who know what they're doing they will somehow be able to incorporate what you're doing, what you're saying, no matter if you love your voice or not they'll be able to incorporate what you're saying into a a musical, improvisational narrative, really, that somehow comes all together, collates, and sounds good. Now your job as as the speaker, as the person who's doing the spoken word part, really, your job is to just relax and let that happen. Now that's a little easier said than done, especially if you've never been on stage before. But if you ever do have an opportunity to to work with people at that level around musical things and you speaking or telling a story you'll quickly find with a little bit of rehearsal you know an hour or two before the show even you'll do you 'll do fine with it so it's not as magical as it might seem or it's not something that one person can do and another person can't it's just really a matter of allowing yourself to Be willing to give in to the moments and trust the musicians around you. Now, professional musicians will tell you the same thing with or without someone on stage speaking poetry or speaking stories. You have to trust the moment and give in to the people around you. And another reason you can trust those moments, of course, preparation. You probably already know that the more you prepare the more comfortable you will be when the time comes to deliver whatever it is that you've been preparing for. So somebody who plays professional music, they've been working at it all their lives, so they're highly prepared. So the moment in some ways is improvisational. Even so, it's built on many, many years of experience. Same thing is true for people who act, or for that matter, any job you do. It always takes a bit of time to learn the job and then one day you know it and you continue to do it and it comes easy. It's called unconscious competence. You're unconsciously competent. You don't even know why anymore. You just know where to reach, what to hold, and where to put whatever it is you're holding on a shelf or maybe in a song. So the way you can prepare for a show and the way I'll prepare for... Going down to Elkin and working with Martha in her show, The Martha Bassett Show, I will just go over and over and over the material until I feel really comfortable with it. It's simple. Just read it read it aloud, read it aloud, and, and read it aloud. Choosing the material is an interesting proposition. Do you choose material, or do I choose material? I've done before. easy for me to do do i take my paper on the stage with me and and read off the page or do i get it down to the point where i can just say it like i'm talking now or like you and i might be talking in a coffee shop if we met somewhere on a street in some town somewhere in the world so we are by nature improvisational creatures we respond off of the moments and then we make decisions based on those responses. And often in conversation, you just talk, you tell your story, you pull straight out of your memories. And the reason you can do it is because you've had your memories a long time. You remember your life and you speak a language. And the language you speak is one you've spoken for most of your life. You had to learn it as a child and off you go. So when you're working on stage, the same idea applies. The difference is you have to adjust by working the material over and over again. And then do you choose old material or new material? For example, I just wrote a poem recently in our Imaginative Storm uh, Writing Prompt of the Week session, which we, we have every Saturday with a group of writers. You can join us, It's it's uh, it's always open for anybody. We gather and generate material. And so I wrote a piece and was really, I'm really, pretty happy with it. Now, do I take that piece and memorize it, get it up to performance level, or do I rely on on the old work? The old work is easy because it's already there. The new work is more difficult, maybe more creatively challenging because it is, well, new work. And with new work, since you've never done it before, since I've never done it before, I don't know how well it will fly for a radio audience, fly for a bigger audience with musicians behind it. Now, like like a piece of old work that I have that would be fun to do for the Martha Bassett Show would be something like this. Oh, jazz band, play that hurricane blues rising through the marsh grass, warmer than a coastal moon. Magic June loves steel rhythm blues and robs melancholy to make me happy. Oh, jazz band, when the air is thin, fill my mouth with night." Very jazzy piece, probably worked pretty well on the stage. It's rather short, maybe 20 seconds long. I'm comfortable with that. And I think it would work because the theme is music, and it's tied into all the musicality that's going to be going on that night. On the other hand, the piece I wrote that I'm rather pleased with, I have no idea if it'll work on stage with musicians behind me or not, but I, I do like it, and, and maybe maybe you will too. You can even email me my website's jamesnave.com. You can email me through my website, Nave spelled N-A-V-E, and let me know what, what you think. So here's the poem. I'm watching you lean into the impressive blunt wind between your place and mine. We once walked in the listening forest, not an abstraction with no wings showing, but a listening forest where our wings were full tango, spinning, spinning. I'm out of here, you sang, spinning, spinning more, teaching eagles to smoke and teaching me to close my eyes when the thick smoke comes. Old smoke, go away, come again another day, you sang. My friends, this is no juxtaposition. It's only me and the electric blue floating above the swamp between one mist and another. The ghost days are gone. Nothing incongruous about this story. It's all true. It's always all true when you impress the wind blowing in the wet green forest where smoke does not cause forest fires. Forget action during these days when fashion, fire, falcons, sunburn all your desires. You belong to this time when the spray of distant fires sends wings and talons to prey on the land. Are you ready to dance with falcons? Are you smoking blue? Do you hear the rumble in the snow? Have you forgotten the long, ancient rainforest where wild winds blow forty dreams across the frozen land? Come home when you can. Come home." So that's a brand new piece that I may or may not use when I go down to see Martha at her show. Even so, that's the beginning of the piece in terms of the spoken word part of it who knows where any of this will go but you got to run it out there you got to play it out and, and see what happens and on that note we have arrived at the top of our time together and so I would like to say thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, Fertile Ground, for conversations worth listening to and remembering I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parker. For our theme song, Walterparks.com, if you're interested in Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. If you are interested in community radio, WPVMFM.org, good place to start. And if you're thinking about picking up your writing again or starting writing for the very first time, you can always join me every Saturday morning for the Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session. I I host that with my creative partner Allegra Houston. You can find the link, the Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com. Would always love to love to have you on the call. The door is always open, so so please imaginativestorm.com. We hope to see you there if you are so moved, and you can always reach out to me jamesnave.com. That's my website. I would love to hear from you. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. You can email me through that website. So on that note, once again, thanks for tuning in. And I do hope that you tune in again next time. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.